You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Bracken, how many how many calories did you burn on the assault bike just now? Officially 1,002. I only burned 937. How long? I did 1,000 for time. Uh-huh. How long did that take you? Well, it took 5,108, but I'm on an Airdyne, a Schwinn Airdyne. Oh, yeah. So I I think that's worth somewhere between 61 and 66 minutes. Mm-hmm. They got to be calibrated a little different. Morgan, do you, different. Use, do you use the assault bike or what do you use? Yeah, I use the assault bike. I actually used to go to a gym that used the Airdyne or the Schwinn one, and I found it was easier or like I was burning more calories than if I had transitioned to like an actual assault bike. So I agree. There is some sort of, I don't know, transition or not like calibration time, I guess you have to add. In stadium races, I'm usually between like 40 and 50 seconds for Mm -hmm. my assault bike time. And in training, and that's 15 cals from a stop. Yeah. And in training, I have to do like a full 20 to 25 to get that in in an interval workout. So I think it's like a 15 to 20 or 15 to 22 ratio. Yeah. So yeah, I I was, my time would have been over 60. I'm fairly certain because I even kind of slow played it. I made sure I got to 20. Okay. Then I worked real steady for the next 20 and then I brought it home the last 20, but I finished thinking I could do another 10 or 15 at this. And there's no way I would feel that way Uh on a, on a real assault bike. So, so you work out in your basement. Yeah. Yeah, I see like pictures of your dope setup you got there. It's coming around. Yeah. Did you ever see the before picture? No, I don't think so. I only saw the after. It was the scariest basement. I lived next to this house for like 12 years growing up and because my parents owned the one right next door. And this guy was great, but his basement was so creepy. It was deep shag burgundy carpeting. <laughs> and then it had these window actual shutters over the windows but the inside of the shutter, instead of a window, was deep red, filmy paper. So it only brought red light in. And then there's <laughs> these like sconces with candles coming out that had red bulbs in it. It was basically a red room, but yeah. not like That's a creepy. cool kind. Like uh, you might get skinned and filleted a red room. Yeah. And then the back room had a door and a light outside the door. And when the door was open or unlocked one of the two a light came on outside like it a light announced if the room was open or closed it was is really bizarre that's crazy do you, do you ever catch like weird drafts like brushed by your skin in that room bracken or like do the hair stand up on the back of your neck for no reason uh, we we repainted this week and painted everything like uh, a really light gray it's pretty bright because yeah. our kids wouldn't go down there except in pairs that's it we if they won't go and we set everything up and we have their toy room in back and they wouldn't even go into the back so we had to we had to paint it just to make it so that you didn't think you're walking into a slaughterhouse i forget that phase as a kid we had a creepy unfinished basement and that was like death to walk down those stairs by yourself did you guys have creepy basements growing up oh yeah Yeah, in my backyard i was scared to death of mine I kind of have a funny story. So we, my dad built our house, like he had the blueprint and everything. And then we, I moved when I was about five years old. So 
we had this nice basement. It wasn't finished yet. It was unfinished. And there was this one pillar in the basement and it had this white blob on it. And for I like when growing up, I would watch um, Goosebumps. If you guys know what those are, they're like uh-huh. short, scary kids stories. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching one that was about a blob that like came alive and like would eat you if you touched it or like you would get some sort of disease or something. So I would not go into the basement unless my dad took this white blob off of one of those pillars. <laughs> so one day. He's like, all right, you got to go to the basement now. I'm like, I can't. He's like, I took the blob off, <laughs> off of the pillar. <laughs> I think I remember that one. Was it called the blob that ate everyone? The blob that ate everyone. Yep. Yeah. You that's creepy. Yeah. We had a compost. We had a long, narrow yard growing up. And in yeah. the back, there's a big tree and like a tree house. But behind our detached garage was our compost pit. Uh-huh. My parents are ahead of the time. So we had compost pits. So every night you had to run the compost bucket out to the compost pit. And every time it was your turn, you'd have the light on the house that wouldn't quite reach the back of the garage. And you'd tiptoe out, tiptoe out, and then sprint around the corner, launch the bucket, hope <laughs> it got in and sprint back before whatever thing was back there grabbed you. Yep. Yeah. There's something uh, about the dark that's just so eerie. Parents don't realize how badly they terrorize their children. Yeah. Honestly, my dad and I actually used to play this game. Um, so I was a little bit older than five, maybe like eight, eight or 10, where we would go in the basement. Our basement was finished at this time. And he would shut off all the lights and close all the doors <laughs> and chase us. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and he just got a kick out of it. And I mean, I was terrified, but he thought it was so funny. Like you would just hear him making these like awful noises, chasing after me and my sister. And we were like peeing our pants. You might not get away with that these days. These days, no. But that's where her agility and proprioception came from. Navigating the dark. Absolutely. (laughs) You ever watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I've never. uh -uh. Uh-uh. Once in a while. They play a game called Night Crawlers. <laughs> they turn out the lights and they crawl around in their sheets at night. <laughs> That's crazy. But they're 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 grown adult men. We we should probably introduce our our guest now that we're seven minutes deep, shouldn't we, Bracken? <laughs> yeah, we have Morgan Schultz with us today. Hello, everybody. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. I hear you're pretty busy these days. You've uh, you've started school. Yeah, um, just started school last week, and I'm already you know deep into this new content. Uh, I graduated undergrad in 2019, so I've been out of school for a full year, and then I decided to start grad school this year. Um, so I don't, I don't really know what I was expecting, but it's a lot, a lot of material early on, and it's kind of stressful. <laughs> and I'm someone who like, I don't know how well I handle stress. I like to think I handle it well, but then once less, all this school stuff starts piling on, I uh, I got a little stressed out that first week. So I'm trying to like prioritize my time a little bit better and you know, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. I'll tell you what, I remember my the first week of graduate school is probably the worst because everything seems over your head. Everything seems thrown at you and every, you, you question like, should I even be here right now? Because mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up and it gets so much better. That first week is like a, is definitely a culture shock. It was for me. I remember that. I was like, man, I am lost already, but it, yeah. it got better. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, I want to ask my professors all these questions and I'm like, I don't want them to think I'm stupid and that I'm not supposed to be here because I'm afraid they're <laughs> going to be like, oh wait, no, actually we did not want to accept you. Like you were just a pity acceptance. Like, so I just get scared. I'm like, dang it. Like, what is an antibody? Like, I forgot. I'm studying, I'm studying medical laboratory science. So it's a lot of like 
we're going right now over like basic sciences. And a lot of this stuff is like, I haven't learned in four or five years. So it's kind of just like a refresher. And I want to ask all these questions, but sometimes I get a little cold feet. When I, uh, my first year, and then I'll move on. My first year of graduate school, I was a TA. So I got an assistantship paid to be a TA. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know being a TA meant that I taught the lab all by myself. I was 22 teaching exercise physiology to 21 year olds. And like half the girls, I was like, oh, she's cute. Oh, she's cute. I don't know what I'm talking about. I spent as much time studying to teach the lab to kids that were one year younger than me than I spent studying for my own classes. It was the most miserable six months of my life trying to teach kids stuff that I had to relearn two seconds before class started. So I feel you. That pain is real. Yep. So yeah. this is about Morgan, but I want to chime in my... <laughs> <laughs> when I was student teaching, I was 21. And in special education, you can receive services in the state of Wisconsin until you're 21. And so I was a 21-year-old teaching 21-year-olds. And that was bizarre. And then I got my first job and I was 21 and a half with 18-year-old seniors. And then, and, and you know, being, I, was a, I was a basketball coach as well. And all of the managers were the senior girls. And so at one point, I had to drive the van the low man on the totem pole had to drive the managers around. So I was driving with five 18 year old girls and I was a 21 year old guy. And I was so uncomfortable <laughs> in that role. Like I am a coach. I am a teacher. You need to respect me and treat me as that. And it was like driving around. It was, it was really no different than a car ride I would have taken six months earlier in college, except now they were teachers and I was in a, a teaching capacity. It was really, really strange. And I was not comfortable. Yeah. That's like, one more thing. Sorry for about to move on. But I oh, right. uh, <laughs> I also right now I'm working part time and um, I'm working for this COVID testing site that we have on campus at the University of Illinois. And I'm actually the testing site lead. So basically, like I'm the manager of the site. So mm -hmm. everyone who works there reports to me, but I'm also the youngest person. So it's kind of odd, like being the person that they go to and ask for like, troubleshooting computers and people who don't know what to do like they all come to me and it's almost like some sort of like imposter syndrome where it's like mm -hmm. am I am I actually supposed to be here like do they actually want me to be the manager like why like why me so yeah it just kind of blends in with being in grad school too right now it's all just like okay like you're growing up you're an adult you can handle this stuff and it's just all at once like things change yeah, yeah. You, fake it, you fake it till you make it. Like that's how we yeah. all get anywhere, right? So Absolutely. You, just, you just own it and I think you're going to kill it. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah, we you. We transition from middle school to high school, high school to college, and then college to real world is just abrupt. You run yes. right into a wall and you're either yes. ready, you're not, or you're able to fake it. Yes. But it doesn't matter what camp you fall in. You still no. have, to, <laughs> you have to get through it. Yeah. Right. Or you get fired. It's one of the Right. Mm -hmm. So what, before we do move on, what was your undergraduate degree? Uh, kinesiology. And then you moved into medical lab science. Yeah. Like, so there's kind of a long story. I don't know how much of the story you guys want of it, but, um, so when I was an undergrad, I, uh, I basically went to my institution because of running. So I got a generous scholarship offer and I honestly did not know what I wanted to study. I didn't really care what I wanted to study because I wanted to run. So mm -hmm. I, I went in undecided and uh, I was taking all these like gen ed classes and they were really boring. Um, English, uh, economics, like all those boring classes that you have to take no matter what you're- Tell people you went to Illinois, right? Yeah, I went to the University of Illinois. University. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So I was just my sister went to grad school there as well. Oh, what'd she get her degree, her grad degree in? Some sort of master's in dance. Master's in dance. I I don't know what sort of math. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, me neither. But and I don't know if it's uh, it was more of a educational role. So oh, I see. That's you have to teach. Okay. But. I, I really don't. Other than I know the university a bit now because she went there, but yeah. that's it. Oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I kind of just went in and I, I didn't really care what I wanted to study just because I was like, you know, I'm going to run. Um, and I'm sure we'll go into this a little bit more, but I got really injured all the time. So I started to have to figure out where I saw myself when I graduated. Like I had to get a job eventually. So all my teammates or a lot of my teammates were in kinesiology because they were pre-PT and a lot of people want to go to physical therapy school. It's just a big thing in the athletics field. Like a lot of them like studying kines and a few of them were like, you know what, you would like it. So I, uh, I took my first kinesiology class and it was anatomy and physiology and it was probably one of the hardest classes I took, but it was the most like enlightening class. And I finally felt like it was actually practical. Like I was seeing things I was taught, like we had cadavers. So we were like, touching them and like feeling what tendons are and like looking at bony structures. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do something with anatomy. I like science. So I started to get more into like uh, microbiology classes, chemistry. Uh, But I was still getting my degree in kinesiology because at this point I was thinking I wanted to become a doctor and go to medical, like do the whole medical school route. So I went from going into college, just wanting to run to now being like, oh, I actually want to be a doctor. So that was a huge, like, shift in mindset because I started to prioritize school a lot, a lot more. Um, So basically, as I was getting towards my upperclassmen years, like my junior, senior year, um, I kind of started to realize the lifestyle of what doctors have is not conducive to what I see myself and like where I want my life to be in the next like 10, 20, 30 years. So I started looking at like alternative options. And when I was working in the anatomy and physiology labs, I enjoyed, um, uh, the best way that I describe it is like using like my visual acuity and my manual dexterity to like look at things. So I I really ended up liking microscope work. I like looking at histology slides and I don't know, like visually examining things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I talked to my advisor and I told her everything that I was interested in. Um, and she kind of led me towards this path of like, looking at sort of like laboratory jobs. And uh, at first I was like, you know, that sounds really boring, uh, but I'm going to take a look at it. And at this point I was graduating, I was a senior, this was 2019. And I was going to take a gap year after I graduated because I really did not know a hundred percent what I wanted to do. So I took that gap year and that's when I actually started racing uh, OCR. And it was kind of a good time for me to explore a lot of different things. So during that summer, I worked at a PT clinic and I realized I did not want to be a physical therapist. Um, I worked, what else did I do? Um, PT. Oh, I worked as a personal, oh, I got my personal training certification too. So I started working as a personal trainer um, and I thoroughly, I liked it, really enjoyed it, but there was just something missing. Um, And then I started uh, just taking courses again, just because I was like, you know, if I want to go to a medical laboratory science school to get my graduate degree, I have to like take some prerequisites I didn't take. So I took more advanced microbiology um, in the winter and spring of this past year. And I ultimately figured out that this was going to be kind of a job that encapsulated all of my interests. Um, so yeah, I just kind of like stumbled down that path from my advisor telling me about it and then kind of stuck with it. And now it's kind of surreal that I'm actually going 
through with it because it's one thing to be like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then it's in the distance. And then now it's like here. And I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to be a scientist. So when I graduate in uh, May of 20 or April of 2022, um, I am or you have to take a certification exam and then you get certified to work as a medical laboratory scientist. So we're the ones that just do all the, like, you know, when you get your blood drawn and you want to know if you have uh, low, like ferritin levels, like we're the ones that run the amino assays or whatever device we're going to be using to test you for your low iron. So, you know, it's not a common job. You're not going to find a lot of people that are like, I'm in school to be a medical laboratory scientist, but I just thought it fit my interest and my lifestyle. And especially after considering I, st I wanted to start competing more seriously, it was, uh, it was a job and it was a school that was able to kind of accommodate what I was looking for. How, how long is the program? It's um, a little less than two years. So this year is just going to be all didactic. So I'm just going to be learning like immunology, hematology, chemistry. And then next year is all clinical work. So I'll go um, rotate through hospitals in Chicago and they basically just teach us everything about the profession. So right now we're just learning basics, like basic medical sciences. And next year we actually get our feet wet and we like basically shadow and start working as scientists. Okay. And before we get to like your athletic prowess and why mm -hmm. we want to talk to you today and your past and all that, uh, quick question I got to ask then, how do you see this affecting your racing? That is a good question. Um, so to be honest, I didn't really think about how it's going to affect my racing because with graduate school, um, they're very, at least with my program, they're very receptive to you being busy. So I already told my professors like things that I do outside of classes. And so there's periods of time where, so I don't have classes all day. Um, there's a lot of work to do for the classes, but it's not like I'm in class 24 seven. There are some days where I like have to be on a zoom call learning, but a lot of time it's very self-instructed. So if I have a, if I'm traveling to a competition or, if I have an exam, it's all online and you can work it around your schedule. So I've already kind of gone through with my professor and my advisor at my college and been like, hey, this is what I do. And it's kind of funny because I get to explain to them what obstacle course racing is and they find it so intriguing. Um, but they're super receptive to me being like, hey, I'm probably going to be a little bit busy. Like when these races start picking back up, is this something that I'm still able to do? Because I don't want to get like, I don't want to just stop racing. I just started. So, yeah, they're they're. Uh, they're pretty receptive. Um, a lot of people have full-time jobs too. So I think it'll work. I think you were really, really fortunate to have a good advisor. I think I look at advisors like I look at coaches and a lot mm -hmm. of them are there for the salary or the position. Mm -hmm. And a few of them are there to really enact change. Mm -hmm. And I never had a good advisor until halfway through college. And then I got a new advisor and she saved me a year of schooling and she really helped guide my choices. And that you had someone that really listened to you and put you in a field that you now truly want to be in. So yeah. many of us graduate and we're in a field that you kind of stumbled into because there wasn't a better option. And it sounds like yeah. you found the better option. That's, that's a really cool position to be in. And to still be young and be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to graduate on time with what I want rather than now I have to go back and get and start over and do the thing I want to do because I finally realized it and no one helped me guide me towards it. Yeah. I, and going off of that, that's, that's definitely the importance of finding it. Even if you don't have an advisor that you like enjoy particularly, it's important to finding a mentor that you feel like can guide you in a certain direction. So on top of having a good advisor, I, 
my senior year of college, um, I started working in a research lab and the research we were doing was super interesting. And I mean, I could nerd out on it for hours. Um, so if you guys want to talk about it a little later, we can, but uh, the basis of what I'm trying to say is that I worked with this principal investigator who was one of my professors and we became so close to the point where he was giving me advice about like how to apply to graduate school, um, how he can, like I asked him to write a good letter of recommendation for me. So there's just, there was a lot of people throughout my undergraduate and hopefully graduate years that really helped me guide myself and my decisions in the right direction. So yeah, I agree. It's like having a, a coach that meshes well with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to find mentors or people who will push you in the right direction. Absolutely. All right. We're going to now switch to talking about training. All right. I, if you can see here, I took water and I just swished it around my workout water bottle because I was so thirsty when I got off the assault bike and I had like four minutes between end of workout to start in this thing. <laughs> and there had to have been a beta alanine clump at the bottom. My face <laughs> just tingling and pinpricking all over. So I got to, I got to bear down and talk some training here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so take us back. Morgan Schultz starts athletics. Growing yeah. up, How'd you find it? And then take us to where you just left off as the college athlete. I want, to preface, I want to preface this real quick with the fact that I feel like our listeners, like if you really pay attention to the sport, people are going to know who you are. Yes. And then I think there's going to be half of our listeners so are going to see Morgan Schultz and they're going to be like, who, who are we listening to today? Because you're so new and you're so young. And this came to light because we had talked to VJ Jones for our last athlete or two ago. And in a sense, you guys are, what are you, 22 or 23, 23? 23, yep. 23, you're, you're like one of the young and up and comers that like, obviously Bracken has a good insight with you because I believe you guys are working together now. But um, I just, we feel like we're ahead of the curve by talking to you because I think Bracken has a lot of faith in you and we've seen what you've done. And I think there's just a lot that could be learned from you. And I think in two years, people are going to look back and be like, Ah, Morgan Schultz, this all makes sense now. <laughs> so I just want I just want to preface this conversation with that because you've made your you've made half of your mark, but not the full mark yet. So I just think that this is very timely. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Because Kirk and I, before each one of these, we don't want to force and guide the direction of this mm -hmm. because generally when we try that, it's awkward and then the athlete or coach starts talking and they go in the direction we should have been going anyways. Yeah. But we always say, what's our, what's our general scope or purpose with this one? And we both knew like with you, it's announce your like forthcoming arrival. <laughs> you see the writing on the wall. You're 23. You've been in the sport for less than one true year. Mm -hmm. And, and we see the tools, like we see the, the boxes that you've checked with your skill set, And we've seen how you're coming from a place of, huge background, big gap because of injuries and a large, large potential. And we feel like this is, like you said, we're ahead of the curve. People are about to know how truly good you're going to be. And, and so we want people to everyone share our enthusiasm for what 2021 and 2022 and after this is going to look like. For sure. So first off, I appreciate that. Like when Bracken was texting me like, Hey, we want to get you on the podcast. I'm like, like me, I'm <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. We're so glad to have you. I appreciate it guys. Um, so, okay. So starting back to when I was younger, I kind of, I'll kind of start, um, my early athletic journey. So, uh, growing up, my, my mom was always the active and athletic one in my household. My dad was the one that was, uh, 
school oriented, creepy, (laughs) (laughs) creepy, playing weird games in the basement (laughs) with us. Um, yeah. So my, uh, my mom is super athletic. She played softball and was, you know, not, not too big on running, but she was a huge softball player. So she played all throughout her, you know, middle school years up until high school. Um, and she really instilled the fact that we just needed to be active. It didn't matter what we did, but she wanted us to just try everything. So growing up, I played all the, all the typical sports. I did, um, soccer for a long time, uh, softball and, uh, tennis, basketball, uh, you know, those basic team sports. And it wasn't until I got like a little bit. So actually to back it up a little bit, I played softball because my mom played softball and she wanted me to. So it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but I found success in it pretty early on. So I was a center fielder and a shortstop. And I loved being in center field because you know, I wanted to run after the balls. Like when, when a fly ball get hit to me, I wanted to, I wanted to make those like diving catches and, you know, like be the spectacle that people look at in outfield. So, um, so yeah, I, I stuck with Supple for a long time because I started playing travel teams and, uh, one of my travel teams actually ended up winning a national championship when we were like 12 or 13. We traveled, like we traveled the whole country. So I was on this extremely competitive softball team. And on top of that, I was on an extremely competitive soccer team. So I was playing two travel sports. Um, and, and back then, so back then, meaning like 10 years ago, um, a lot of people played a lot of sports. And I know these days people are, are specializing a little bit earlier. Um, but I, I was in competitive sports, multiple competitive sports in one season. So I would go from playing a soccer tournament uh, on a Saturday morning to going to my softball doubleheader at night. And that was just what I was used to growing up until I was in, in junior high. And then um, junior high, I kind of started to realize that I needed to choose a little bit more because I wanted to start to play school sports. So, And they play both spring for girls? Yes, both spring for girls. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of activity when I was younger, uh, up until my junior high years. And then in junior high, I was like, you know, I have to choose. I, I can't be um, running around to all these different practices and spreading myself too thin. So seventh grade rolls around and uh, I decide I want to try track because that's something I hadn't done at all. I I never really thought of myself as liking running, but I always knew I was fast because when I played soccer, my favorite thing to do was chase the ball and beat people. Like just loved running. I wanted to chase people basically. So my friend was actually into track. And um, what I did is I I tried the hundred meter dash, the 200 meter dash, the 400. And um, this isn't, this isn't, I'm not saying this to sound like I'm, I'm better than anyone or, or cocky, but it was, it was easy. Like I, I would beat everyone there. Like there wasn't competition and I, I just found it so boring because I would run the 100 and win. And then I would run the 200 and then win. And these were just like local junior high meets. So it's not like there was a ton of talent, but I just found where, it. Where, sorry. Where did you, was it a small town or big town? Where, where, where were you running and growing up? Yeah. So I grew up in a Northwest suburb of Chicago. It's called Cary. Okay. It's, it's like 15,000. Um, so I don't know, an average size town, I would say. Uh, but yeah, the, the towns around me were not large cities by any means. Okay. So it didn't, the junior highs around me weren't massive. So I wasn't getting a lot of, um, competition. So what I ended up doing is I actually just, I quit just because it wasn't really fun. I I was beating people and I, you know, I like winning, winning is super boring. Yeah. (laughs) For me, it was like I got a taste of it and I wanted to move on and win at other things. Like I wanted to be the best at every sport. So I already was good at running and I checked that box basically. 
So going into eighth grade, I tried basketball and I got on the A team. Uh, so there was an A team and a B team in eighth grade. And if you're on the A team, you're better and you get to start the games. And I got into the A team in eighth grade. This is my second time ever playing basketball. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of a kind of a side story to this basketball career I had. But after my first game on the A team in eighth grade, I quit. So you're going to probably be like, wow, you're such a quitter. But there was this girl on the team that was just honestly kind of a bully. And for people who weren't her best friends, she just talked down upon and did not want to like talk to you. So I felt like I was getting bullied and I was like, you know, I'm not going to take any of this. I'm just going to quit. So by the end of my eighth grade year, I, I wasn't running. I didn't want to do basketball and I was getting really, really burnt out on uh, softball and soccer because I'd been playing them literally my whole entire life, like since I was five years old. And I was playing these extremely competitive soccer games, extremely competitive softball games, literally every single weekend. We played uh, indoor softball. We had a facility um, near my town where we would, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, we played inside. Like we had games inside, there was turf fields. It was, hmm. it was all year long. Um, so going into high school, I... I did not really want, I, so freshman year of high school, I played soccer and I was playing softball, but I was not playing softball through the school, through my travel week. And um, we had a really good freshman soccer season. I was on, I was on JV and uh, yeah, I like, I enjoyed the team aspect of it. But what I realized when I was playing soccer is that it doesn't really matter how good you are. You could be the best, you could be the best soccer player in the state but if you do not have a a team that's also at your level you're not gonna win like a state championship because you need to have a a group of people that are just as good and uh so so we were a good team but after my freshman year I was getting moved up to varsity and the team was horrible and I I was I wanted to advance myself as an athlete and I kind of realized that kind of came down to just me taking control of my own athletic endeavors and because I quit uh, soccer and I wasn't really doing any school sports anymore, I decided to try track. So this was my sophomore year of high school. First, second time doing track because I tried it the first time in seventh grade. So started track and field sophomore year of high school. And I was a sprinter right from the gun because just of my soccer background and what the coach thought I would be good at. And I was good at it. So I, I sprinted my sophomore year, um, the 100, 200, 300 hurdles, uh, and then some relays. And I made it to state in the 300 hurdles, the 4 by 2 the 200, and the 100, I think. I, I made it to state for, I think, four events my sophomore year. <laughs> Your first year in track. Yeah, my first year in track. And that, <laughs> I know. That's incredible. What, yeah, what I, division were you? Because I know there's a number of divisions. Did you were you big school, small school in the middle? Yeah, we were the big, the biggest division. I so, think so, was, you, so you qualified for state in four events in the big school division. Your first year in track as a sophomore in high school. Yes, Chicago has some sprinters. <laughs> Chicago has easy. some sprinters. Yeah, I know, and that's that's kind of where I started to realize that I think I think I found my niche because it was it was kind of something where I was like, you know, I see a direct correlation. Uh, between the amount of work I'm putting in individually and my results. So that was something that was a little bit different than playing soccer because I could work extremely hard, work on my passing, work on my goal shooting. But if my other teammates aren't doing that, then we're not going to be winning championships. So that after my sophomore year, I, uh, we placed in the four by two and, uh, 
Oh, <laughs> so at state, I actually had the stomach flu. So I actually only ran the four by two because I wanted to make sure our team got a medal and I just scrapped everything else. Didn't run the 200, didn't run the 300 hurdles. So that kind of sucked, but it kind of gave me a taste of what it takes to compete at that state level in Illinois. So, so after my sophomore year of high school track, I, my coach convinced me, convinced me to do cross country in the fall. And I said, all right, fine. Cause at this point I had kind of, kind of phased out of my team sports. I, I was really enjoying the autonomy of being alone, like working alone basically mm -hmm. and taking control of your own future. So uh, starting in the summertime, I started to build for cross country. And this is my first time ever running long distance. I mean, you could say that I ran long distance because I was a soccer player, but that was more of like sprinting, stopping, you know, it, we didn't run three, four five miles for fun as a soccer team. So in the fall going into my junior year, I started a build and I, I'm, I mean, I might've bit off a little bit more than I could chew, but my coach just kind of threw me in with all the the big dogs on the team. So our varsity team, he was like, all right, just go run your summer mileage with them. See if you can hold on. And then we'll, we'll see where that takes us in the first meet of the season. And surprisingly, I was able to just, you know, acclimate to an increased mileage load that I've, I've literally never ran miles before in my life, like consecutively. So I was able to just hang <laughs> bizarre on. to go from never doing it to do it on back to back to back to back days. That's a, that's a big fatiguing process, huge fatiguing process. And I'm sure we'll get to it later, but that's that summer kind of started a little bit of a, an injury uh, cascade we'll say. So uh, I, I was fit. Like I was running f up to 45 miles a week that first summer. And, and that was, that's a lot. That's I so mean, much for a first year running as a female. Like that is twice as much as probably even some accomplished cross girls. Would absolutely. Be. Yeah. But I was just all about it. Cause I, I was getting fast. We would do time. We did a time trial, um, you know, mi middle of August just to see where we were before we kind of put in like a block of speed training. And I was the fastest girl. I was the fastest three miler on the team at that point. And, and Illinois girls run a three mile cross country, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we don't do 5k. A lot of the country does guys do 5k girls does 4k. Oh, is that true? A lot of yeah. country. Some both do five and Illinois runs three mile for both, not five. Yeah. They're one of the only states that does a three mile race. It's bizarre. Yeah. Right. And I guess it's just so what I'm used to. So <laughs> when I talk times, so like when I start to talk times now, it's going to be three mile. So I'm not running like 17 something 5ks um, in high school. So we start the season after like my 40 plus miles a week on average summer. And I, I run a decent three mile on our home course. And it's a lot of undulating terrain. Um, it wasn't fast by any means. I don't remember the exact time, but I just remember that I was the fastest on the team. And, you know, that kind of pissed some people off who were on the team because they're like, who is this girl who just started running that is the number one girl on the team now? Like, we, like how? So I... Uh, I stuck my nose to the grindstone and uh, we started, I started my first ever cross country season uh, that fall and I just got consistently better. I was putting in the miles. I was doing all the threshold workouts and speed workouts. And I, I started to kind of like it at first I was hesitant because I really had never run miles ever. I was just more of a sprinter because in, in track I sprinted, I never ran over like two miles in a, a practice. So, uh, I started to really enjoy it and I started uh, seeing progress. Um, 
And for me at this point, the progress was extremely linear. Like there was no undulations. Like I was just getting faster, getting faster, getting faster just because I had, I had just started distance running. Mm-hmm. So uh, I start the season and we're doing like these dual meets, like triangle meets. Mm-hmm. and They're just the and worst. I, I know, right? They're like in the middle of the school week too. If and I could I'm, change anything about high school sports other than getting X runners as coaches, I would get rid of duels and triangulars. Yeah. Even quads. Uh, they're so bad. They're mm-hmm. so bad. They're so bad. And like I still put so much pressure. So after I won that, time trial we had as a team I put so much pressure to not even be the first person on our team to cross the line but just to be the first person just to win basically especially these small meets and um so uh the first dual meet that we had I I remember I remember the team it was against I won and um my coach was like wow (laughs) like what the heck and I think at that point people started to realize that I was going to be a pretty decent cross-country runner so I went through that whole season and um, I got second place at our conference meet. And we had this girl, the girl who won was the state champion. So it, it's not like it was some like no name individual who beat me. Like she had won state previously with like a, a 1650 in the, in the three mile, I'm saying. Which is like mm-hmm. a 1730, 1735, 5k. Yeah. Which yeah, so that's it's real fast for a high school girl. Yep. Smoking fast. So, uh, yeah, so I got second to her, and I was maybe 20, 30 seconds behind. And at that point, um, my coach and I were kind of putting a lot of pressure on myself to uh, to make it to the state meet first off, but not to just make it, to, to be all state. And um, I went to the sectional meet for cross country, and uh, I, I made it. So I made it to state, and I was like, this is very unreal. Like, I, I personally believed I could do it, but it still was a very unreal experience because it was my first time ever really running. And in high school, for people that didn't run a high school cross country, when you get to sectionals, they generally take five individuals to state from the sectional meet. And the sectional meet is consisted of several different conferences that you come to. So five people from your conference, plus at least one or two other conferences, it's just very difficult to qualify for state. Mm -hmm. Yeah how, yeah. how close did you cut it? Did you make it easily or was it a close? I got four. Oh, so it was it top five went? Yeah. Top five. Top five. Morgan, um, I took six. Way to go. You took six? Yeah. Bracken? I missed by a hundredth oh. of a second. No. Sprint oh, finish? No. Sprint finish. I got out leaned. What year? My senior year. Oh. I never went to state oh, for cross. I, oh, I missed man. I missed by an inch. Do you know I went to state all four years in cross? Yeah, because you're better running than me. Shut up. <laughs> I went with the team early. I went to qualify. Wait, did you, did you guys have um, divisions? Yeah. In Wisconsin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, were you guys both the bigger division? Medium, small? Big, oh, yeah. yeah. D1. Big. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a little bit different. One for so us is like, the big school. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're 3A. Yeah. 3A is the biggest, then 2A, 1A. Anyways, um, so you go to state. You you yeah. outperform me your first year of cross country and you qualify <laughs> for state as a first yeah. time runner sophomore in high school. First time on junior. Junior, junior, junior. junior. High school. Yeah. Junior year for cross country. First gotcha. time. And uh, so I make it to state and I tell myself that I am not gonna be happy unless I get all state. Which, and which is, is a top eight? Top twenty five. Oh, top twenty five. Yeah, top twenty five in three A. And I was like, you know what? I can do it. Like I'd been winning my local meets. I got fourth at my sectional. So like, I don't see why not. So I started the meet or I started the race. And I just remember 
you guys know when you're not like feeling good that day, you don't get that like pop in your legs. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You don't get that reverb. You don't feel the energy. You don't, you don't feel good. You just feel like you're running. Your legs are heavy. Mm-hmm. So I started the race and I, I got that sensation, but just because I had been such a newbie runner that I didn't really ever feel that that much. So I started the race and I was like, man, like something's off. However, I, st- I stuck my nose in it and I made sure I was in at least 25th place at all times. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to be in that, in that chunk of people. And I was, I was uh, hearing coaches like yelling out numbers, like you're 21, 22. So I, I was in that er- like early 20 pack. So at the Detweiler Park course, which is the state, state course in Illinois, the last, I'll say like three to 400 meters is uphill. So it's pretty, it's pretty brutal, especially to finish a three mile race, you have to climb a hill. And I was in 25th place going to lap 300 meters. And um, the last ah, thing- this gets me right into to, to race mode, doesn't it, Kirk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could listen to these stories yeah. all day. Uh-huh. I know, it fires me up. Um, but so what happened the last, the last three to 400 meters, all of a sudden I just collapsed. So I, I passed out. So that's what happened is I, I oh, literally God. passed out. And the next thing I, I realize it is there's nobody else on the click. So the thing that happens if, if someone touches you, you're like disqualified. Mm-hmm. So no one can come and pick you up, um, and help you cross the finish line because your results not going to count. And, um, so everyone's passing me by and no one's picking. So I'm passed out for like, I don't know how long, but when I wake up, I'm the last person to cross the finish line and I have to crawl on all fours, um, Mm. to get, to get across it. So I finished in like 22, 22 minutes. So Every, every year at high school, women's cross country state champs, somebody crawls across the finish line. Why is that? It's like, do women push themselves harder? Is yeah. it, uh, is it like a hormone thing? Is it a ferritin thing? What is it? Cause every, I think all four years I was at the state meet, somebody crawled across the finish line. It was always a girl. Yeah. Why, yeah. why is that? What do you think happened that day? So what I think happened that day was I don't think I was ready to be in the top 25. I don't think I was a top 25 athlete at that point. And I put myself in the position to do that, but I physically don't think I was able to run a time that it would have taken to run in the top 25. So I, 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 I mean, I tried everything I could to get myself to finish at that point, but my body physically could not run three miles at what it would take to get in the top 25. And I, I think that day I found what my limit actually was. You know how people are like, you know, your body can always go further than what, what you think. Um, I honestly think that day I found what my limit was. Um, and I, I hit it. And I think when you hit your limit, then your body just shuts down. So I, I think what happened to me is just my body couldn't handle it anymore. And it, it lasted, you know, 2.85 miles, but you know, it could not finish that last 0.15. So yeah. So basically to finish the race, I, I crawled on all fours. I could not stand up. I, I couldn't walk. I was like, could not see that well, but no one helped me. And I think people realized that they, people probably thought that I didn't want help because I wanted to have my result count. Um, but I crossed the line. I had to go into the ambulance bed. They gave me IV fluid food and I felt fine. Like I got, I drank water, Gatorade, electrolytes. They had an IV in me, a St. Lean solution. Mm-hmm. And I was okay. I, I was just very disappointed in myself. So you weren't, you weren't like a crying snotty mess. Oh, no. that last, you owned it, huh? You just, I, down I owned and owned it. It. yeah, wow. I, I don't think I knew any better. Cause I was That's like, oh, scary. That'd be scary. 
it was scary for my parents because I remember they were there and they were watching and they were like, we did not know what happened to you because we were, they were waiting for me to cross the finish line. And then when they didn't see me for a while, they were like, oh, wait, she's she's on the course laying on the ground. Like, why is nobody helping her? So when they when they finally saw me cross the finish line, they were freaking out. Like, what are you hurt? Like, what happened? And I mean, I went to the doctor like I, I didn't go to school the next day. Like I was getting a checkup. Like, was my heart something wrong with my heart? Like, did I have a low, you know, low ferritin? Like, why did I pass out? And there was nothing wrong. So, I mean, I think I just found my limit that day, like literally the the physical limit I could have had at that point in time. And I found it. So after that cross country season, I uh, took a lot of time off just because first off, my coach didn't want me to come back too soon. Um, and also I think my body needed some time to heal, especially after that first week or first summer running 45 miles a week, first time ever running. Mm-hmm. So I, I took, I took a decent chunk of time off. Kirk, do you know, I collapsed and crossed once. No, I had no idea. You don't see men or boys do it very often. And not, not because of the reason she did. I firmly believe that women empty their tank better than guys do. They may. Across yeah. the board. Individual, it's like anything else. The top individuals can all do it the same. But through the masses, I think women will run themselves into nausea. They, they puke more often in races than guys do, mm-hmm. and they collapse or get wobbly legged at the end more than guys do. There's something mm-hmm. to that. So my collapse wasn't like that, but I actually got, uh, I didn't finish. It was at about the two mile mark, and I got carted off in the ambulance. Oh, no way. Yeah. So it's, what it's, happened? I, I don't know. Locked up. Things just like everything curled in. My fingers locked and curled in. My arms curled. I was in the fetal position. My jaw locked. I, I couldn't really like move my jaw and talk. And then once they got fluids in me and I warmed up, it was like a 28 degree conference championship race. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I was fine. It was just like you. I was fine afterwards. But I don't. Yeah, exactly. Mine was at the two mile mark. So I hadn't emptied the tank yet. So it wasn't okay. it wasn't because okay. I was cool and tough. It's just scary. Yeah. Though. Same kind of thing. My parents like where'd Bracken go? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's he's down on the course. But yeah, continue. I wasn't as tough as you. I was just down. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't even know any better. So I uh, so my parents came up to me. They're like, well, what? Like, are, are you OK? And I mean, we went and got a bur- burgers and fries after like we. <laughs> Acted like nothing ever really happened. So um, after that cross country season, it took a took probably about a month off, and I I kind of just played sports. Like I just kicked the soccer ball with friends, and I would throw the football around. Like I I was always still very um, I'm a very athletic. Like I like to do a lot of things. Like I love if someone's like let's go play flag football. Like yes, like I'll be the first one to be like yeah let's go play just for fun. So that that month that I didn't really do anything, I was still very active. I would like to point out that at this point, like you went to a, a, a large accomplished division one college for running and still we're in the fall of your junior year and you have yet to show on a state level, I would assume in the distance running world that mm-hmm. you should be being recruited by Illinois. So I'm very curious oh, yeah. to hear the rest of your story. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Here's the rest of the story. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, right? Because that's, yeah. I mean, junior year is when colleges yeah. look at you. And right now you crawled across the finish line. So, oh, so for far, sure. you're, you're 0 for 1. Oh, for sure. Yeah. At so this something point, happened. No, oh, definitely. So at this point, no college no college has any idea who I am, let alone really local high school coaches. I mean, they'll probably know, okay, Morgan's, uh, she's pretty fast. but So you I had did, a big spring. Yeah. So had big spring. I had a big spring. And Let's a big winter. Let's talk about that spring. So in Illinois, we do, do you guys do, uh, you guys have indoor track in high school, Yeah. Yeah. So, so indoor track, um, we have a state meet an indoor statement in Illinois. And at this point, my coach told me like, you know, you're going to run the 800 this year. I'm like, 
all right, coach. I, I kind of was a, an athlete that kind of just did whatever I was told. And I, whatever I was told, I would try to do the best that I could at it. So my coach was like, all right, you're going to try the 800 just because he thinks that after a nice build and cross and I could handle, you know, okay mileage. And, you know, he thought it would suit me well. He thought I was built to be an 800 runner. So I ran some indoor 800 meter times and I was running very fast for an indoor. Like I think, so I, so my final, my best indoor 800 I ran was a 213 and that was, that was pretty fast. Yeah. As so, a first year um, 800 meter running girl as a first year and junior. 800 meter runner. Indoors, not even knowing the race. Indoors. That's moving. Yeah. Yep. So I finished that year and I won the indoor state championship of the 800. And this was my first year running it. So I, I was new. And at this point. Indoor track is the only time on track other than steeplechase that athleticism matters. Correct. Short laps, tight turns, the ability mm -hmm. to accelerate quickly, to avoid right. entanglements in the pack, that matters indoors. Yes. And race strategy, yep. big time. Yes, absolutely. So after that indoor season, I had won in, you know, an indoor state title. And I put it in quotes because it's not an official IHSA thing. It's just they put on this unofficial indoor state meet, and I won, and I won pretty handily. And then I was starting to get all these interviews and, you know, you kind of get starstruck, like when Diestat and MileSplit is, is emailing you and texting you like, Hey, you want to hop on a podcast call and talk about your, uh, your win? Never so, emailed me. A side note for the listeners, Illinois distance is a powerhouse. Huge. When you look across the nation, I would say Illinois is a top in cross country is generally top one to three nationwide in terms of depth. Usually the number one or two team of cross country comes out of Illinois. And in track, they always have their cream of their crop can match up with any state with the Californias, the New Yorks, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it means a lot to the distance running world if you are good in the state of Illinois. Right. So I was getting like some interviews and local newspapers were hitting me up and I was like, wow, this is kind of surreal. Like if you're good at running, like you're going to get some attention. And it was never about that for me, but it started to be like, wow, this is actually a real deal. Like you got, you, you do well and people like appreciate that and respect that. So I finished the indoor season. I broke. So at this point I had done really well for my school too. I'd broken all of the, the school records in the indoor events I did. So the 55 meter dash, I had the school record indoor 400, 800. I had the three mile school record too. Like, I, so I, you can tell at this point, like I was kind of a jack of all, like I did everything. And I found success in everything. And I think that's what college coaches started to realize once outdoor and summer came. And I'll explain about that now too. So junior year track, I, uh, I stuck with my, my best event, in my opinion, was the 300 hurdles. It's interesting. VJ Jones ran 300 hurdles in high school too. I remember I, I heard him on the podcast and I'm like, that sounds so familiar. That's just like my story. So I ran the 300 hurdles, the 800, the 100, the 200. So I was still a sprinter at heart, in my opinion, but I was, I was pretty good at the 800. And I think an 800 to sprint, or I ran it like a sprint. Yeah. I, I, I just went out and tried to hold on as fast as, as much as I could. So um, outdoor season. So in Illinois, the 800 and the 300 hurdles are almost back to back. They're broken between, I think the 200 is in between there. So when you're running these meets, there's not a lot of time to recover. So if I, so I would, I would, I went through the season, I was running all these invitationals and big meets and stuff. And I was winning most of them. Uh, the 800, the 300 hurdle, I would set meet records. There's, there's a pamphlet I have, my parents have at their house where it has my name in the meet records for the 100 hurdles, the 300 hurdles and the 800. And that's just something I kept. Cause I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool. Like the fact that I can hold a record mm -hmm. in something so short and 
diverse from mm -hmm. something so long that distance runners usually do. So junior year, I qualified for state in the 800, 300, 100, 200. I have never known a 100, 800 combination. I've known yeah. 400, 800, but never mm -hmm. one through eight. Never even two and eight. No. Yeah. So now you've got this skill set rounding out. You've got almost all state and cross country with all state yeah. or state qualifier in the 100. Yes. And that meshes pretty darn well for middle distance. Absolutely. And at this point, going into my qualifying, I started to hear, well, I don't think colleges are allowed to officially contact you until the summer, but I was starting to get like these, you know, unofficial notes and stuff from colleges just because they're like, wow, this girl's got some diversity and she can, she can kind of hit all these distances. So at the state meet, I got second in the 300 hurdles and I got sixth, I think in the 800. And that was a very disappointing day for me just because I'd won the indoor 800 title and I got sixth outdoor. So, you know, it was a little disappointing, but at least I was starting to get some recognition at the state level. Cause I had been all state in the 300 hurdles, the 800, I won the state title in the 800 and the summer was very um, enlightening. So I decided to try the heptathlon for the first time in the summer. Of course and you do. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I, it fit a lot of things I was good at. There's seven events. They're all different. And I was like, you know, I think I'd be pretty good at it. So I tried it and then I qualified for nationals like this through the summer thing. And I got second place and that was my second time doing the heptathlon. This is when you should be training for cross country. Yes. It was when I should okay. be training for cross country. That's and I decided to do the heptathlon. Uh -huh. So for for girls, high school HEP, is it following college rules or is it different? It's following college rules. So explain, so, the, explain the seven events then. Uh, so there was a 100 meter hurdles, the 200, 800, high jump, shot put, long jump, javelin. So very diverse. Yes. Um, and a lot of different types of training it took. But you could it, go it, 100 hurdles, 200, 800 with anyone in the state. And I'm yes. sure you could jump and throw a little bit as well. Yes. I found a lot of success in the javelin and the shot put. Mm -hmm. The The high jump was a struggle for me. What's your uh, What's your spear percentage, Morgan, in Spartan races? Oh, you know, it's Miss, not Miss javelin high. thrower. It doesn't <laughs> carry over. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's better than throwing a football or a baseball. Uh, no, yeah. no, I wouldn't say it is. No? I threw javelin a little bit in college. And it was, I, that's how I threw my first spear. And it comes off like a helicopter if you use javelin approach. Uh -huh. oh, it is not. This, darts <laughs> no, is the best thing you can do to be a good spear thrower. What do I know? Yeah, true, true. Yeah, okay. Should have been a darter or something. But, uh, <laughs> your next, you seem to move from thing to thing. So maybe that can, be your, yeah. that can be your next yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, I finished that summer. I was an All-American. So at this point, I had been a state champion, an All-State track runner. And I was an All-American in the... Um, heptathlon. So in the fall, I started to train for my cross country season. And at this point is when all these injuries start to pop up. So what I do is in the fall, I try to, I try to catch up to all my peers. So they've been running 40, 50, some of them ran a lot of miles per week, we'll say. And I try, I tried to just jump back into it. And I was like, you know, I'm athletic. I can, I can hang on. I can, I can jump back into a 45 mile a week, no problem. And were you not doing any mileage all summer? No, I was still doing mileage. So it wasn't, it wasn't 45 miles, but I would, I would have like a heptathlon practice. So at this point I was training for the heptathlon alone too. I would just go to the track and do a hurdle workout and, and practice jumping on a high jump pit with no bar, just because 
I, I didn't know what else to do. Like we, I didn't have access to even like a high jump bar. So I was just practicing alone. And then I would go at nighttime and run like three, four miles. Um, but this is when I started to realize I was spreading myself pretty thin. So I started doing cross country in the fall, uh, my senior year. And I was running well early on. I had broken my school record in the three mile, I think like 17, 1720, low 1720s for the three mile. And um, right before the sectional meet, which I was supposed to win, because they put out, you know, articles and stuff who they who they're expecting to go to state and like do so well at this and point stuff. you're about an 18 flat 5k runner maybe a little under yes yes at this point yeah 18 flat is probably pretty accurate um because we actually did what run one 5k um which is rare and i ran an 1804 on a 5k course so <laughs> yeah 18 flat probably accurate so um right before the sectional meet we had like a dual meet and my coach wanted me to run it just to sharpen up a little bit and after the race I started noticing I had pain in my thigh and I didn't tell anyone about it because I was like, you know, I'm probably just sore and I should just roll out. You know, that's, that's what runners should do. Just grab that foam roller, roll out your thigh, roll out your quad. It'll be okay. So I start, you know, adopting a little bit of a recovery protocol and, uh, I continue running, but my thigh does not get any better. And I, I'm not telling anyone at this point because I don't want to be a baby. I, I don't want to, I honestly just didn't want to complain. Because when I was at practice, people would always be complaining about something. Someone's like, oh, my shin hurts. Oh, my foot hurts. It's like, just run. Like, just suck it up. I, it's I like whacking an eye on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's depressing. <laughs> just, just constant <laughs> complaining back and forth <laughs> about oh. our ailments. Continue, Morgan, about how much tougher you are than us. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I, I didn't really add any injuries. So I didn't know what one felt like. Um so, you know, eventually it got to the point where I was running at practice and I would have to stop after a mile because my thigh was just throbbing and it wasn't both of my thighs. It was just one. So I was like, you know, what? I should probably just tell someone. I told my coach and he had his wife come to practice because his wife's a physical therapist and she helped me through some stretches and I was getting some short term relief. But, you know, I, I knew deep down there was something actually wrong. But, you know, no one told me to go see a doctor. So I just kept running and running and I made it to state. So I qualified. Um, but I was running a warm up on the state cross country course the day before it was supposed to happen. And I could not run. Like I ran 15 seconds and the pain was so bad. I, I just couldn't run. So I did not end up running the state me my senior year. So I had a Deanna or no, I, I guess I finished my junior year, but last place my junior year. And I didn't even run my senior year at the state meet. And I went to the doctor and I got an MRI and I had a stress fracture and it was really femoral, bad. Femoral stress femoral fracture? stress fracture. A vertical or a horizontal? Um, a horizontal. Okay. You qualified for state with a femoral stress fracture. Yes. But you ran on it for weeks and made it worse. Yeah. He said you could see it. So actually I didn't end up getting an MRI. I got an x-ray and you could see it on the x-ray. And you never see stress fractures you on never, the x-ray. Exactly. Unless you really messed it up. It's basically a break. And he was like, oh no. <laughs> so I ended up taking three months of no impact. So, so I, I would, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, go okay. For it. So was there some really good for, I just want to go back to this Illinois thing. Cause we have not chatted with somebody who's running such a big school and accomplished yeah. distance running school. I don't think yet, or if we have, it's been very few people. Mm -hmm. uh, did, did the coach there have some really good foresight with you saying like, I see this girl has potential and that's why you got recruited and paid to go to school there. Yeah. Or is that what it was? Or did they see the small meets throughout the year and be like, oh, we get it. Like this girl just had some tough breaks. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I guess I kind of glossed over the whole uh, 
recruiting process because that happened that summer also. So I was getting emails okay. and phone calls and stuff, and I could talk about that briefly. Um, yeah, basically they just had a lot of foresight and they, they, they saw that I could perform well, um, at big meets if I wasn't hurt. So like, I, as you're going to say, I'm going to get hurt a lot in the next coming <laughs> years and months, but they, they did have a lot of foresight with me and they saw, uh, that I could perform at a lot of different events. And that was, a that was why I got recruited to a, a bunch of different schools. And I was fortunate to go on a lot of different, um, official visits and basically an official visit means they just pay for everything. So mm. they pay for you to fly, to go out there they pay for your hotel, your food, whatever, basically. So Did I you have the visits where like, um, I don't know, Bracken, if you remember, so I got recruited somewhat heavily, just like on the D3 scene, a few D2 and like one D1 school, but like we took us like on a recruiting visit and then the upperclassmen would get, you know, talk, contacted by the coach and say, Hey, show Kirk a good time. And we'd go and they'd like hand me a beer and be like, let's hang out. Like that's how I got recruited at two schools. Did they give you that experience? No, really? They really did that? Oh yeah. Like they'd be like, Hey, show these, like we have a, a group of guys coming to tour campus today. These are yeah. accomplished. And then the upper class would be like, all right, let's go hang out at the house and we'll just talk to you about the program. Yeah. And they'd like kick their feet up and be like, here's a beer. What do you, what do you want? And they just bullshit with us. And then they get us hooked. Like, Hey, these guys are cool. And they hand me a beer. Like then you went, yeah. went to the school. That didn't yeah. happen. Did, did you ever experience that Bracken? Yeah. Yeah. You did. I I went on one recruiting trip because I got one okay. college offer <laughs> in the entire nation. And and they flew us down there, set me up with their upperclassmen and did the whole thing. But I didn't drink and I was down there with my dad. And even if I yeah. had wanted to, there's no way I was going to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so I didn't. But yeah, they tried to make it seem. But we had such a broken program and such a nerdy running team that like it wasn't an attractive offer but it was the only yeah. offer. Well, coaches didn't know this was happening. Like the coach didn't know. He's like, hey, go show the guy, go show the kids sure on the upper I don't know. Our coach was very anti-drink. Okay. But like they were, they were the upper class. If, if it got found stuff. out, every NCAA program does this, but if it got found out, they'd be sanctioned. Yeah. yeah no, the coach had no okay. idea. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. So we just did. Yeah. I, I didn't drink on like none of that, none of that stuff, but we did a lot of, you know, kind of get to know you activities. I went bowling on one of mine. I went laser tagging when I went to, uh, I took an official at the university of Wisconsin, Madison. We went, I think mini golfing or something. I don't know. You're big a time. If you get recruited by Wisconsin, they're a power yeah. track in a cross country program. That was, and that was a very fun recruiting visit. I remember I was very intimidated though by the head coach. Like he, he was very serious, like running his life. Um, and I mean, at this point running was life for me too. Uh, but I hadn't figured out where I wanted to go yet. Um, so yeah, the whole recruiting process happened that summer when I was running, uh, training for the heptathlon. Um, and I took my official visits at Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Illinois, and Indiana. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't end up taking my fifth one though. Cause at that point I decided, I decided where I was going to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an awesome experience, very humbling. Cause these people are literally treating you like a queen. They're like, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for lunch? Like, try on this cool uniform like they wanted me to put on the uniform and literally look like one of the team members you know what hooked me dining halls did they show you a dining hall is that where you ate yep. oh really yeah they had nice ones this was i, I went to a private uh college down in the south and yeah. it was like restaurant quality they had two restaurant quality on campus and then like a cafe and it all worked on your plan and i was like you know what i think i should go d3 because i don't belong here <laughs> But uh -huh. for the free room and board alone, if I get to eat like this three to six times a day, if I want, 
I am not going anywhere else in the world. A way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do remember I did eat in one dining hall. I went to when I went to Notre Dame, they took us in these really awesome dining halls they have there. It's like it's like Harry Potter style. Yeah. I've actually been in Notre Dame's dining hall. They are legit. Super legit. And that was really mm. cool for me too. Um, but yeah, I mean, they find it, they, they wine and dine you basically like you, you are the queen when you're at these visits. So very cool experience in the summer. But at this one, I was dealing with my femoral stress fracture and I had my senior year, but I, I had already committed to a school. So in October I committed to the university of Illinois and I, after I got the femoral stress fracture, I was nervous to tell the coaches cause I didn't want them to like retract my scholarship offer. And you know, they didn't, they really didn't care about it. I mean, obviously they wanted me to get better and, you know, they weren't worried. They still had a, a plan for me to be a good runner. And I was talking with them at this point about potentially being a heptathlete, potentially trying um, the steeplechase, but those are extremely different events. Um, <laughs> steeplechase and heptathlon, you train wildly differently. Um, but that's that what you've was, been doing your whole high school career. Exactly. And I, you know, and I think that's what attracted a lot of colleges to me is that I, by the time I finished high school, I could run an 11, nine, 100, a 25 flat, 200, a 55, eight, 400 and a two eleven. I think in the eight. So, so that's a very, it's an impressive resume, broad spectrum of times that I could hit. And I, did think you run the mile or the two mile ever just like a quick stab and track? I'd just be curious. In high school, I never did. In college, I did at a intra-squad meet. We had, there was a period of time where after uh, cross-country season and before indoor track, there's a huge period of time where we're still pretty fit, but you're not competing. Mm -hmm. And there's finals going on during this time. And we did an intra-squad meet. And I ran a 450. So 450 is my unofficial fastest time I've ran a mile. Um, I think you would have been a nasty high school miler. I think I would have too. That that's one thing I wish I would have tried yeah. when I was in high school. But yeah, I mean, I never. I was already spreading myself super thin. Right. I was trying all the, the eight hundred, the three hundred hurdles, the two hundred. Those were back to back to back, and I was winning those at meets. And I think that's what attracted me to a lot of colleges. So finished my senior year, and I I came back just in time for the indoor state championship, and I defi I won the indoor state championship again in the eight hundred. So that was awesome. That was like, you know, a good start to my senior track season. And, you know, outdoor came and I, I got ready for outdoor for a huge outdoor season. I had my goal set on winning state in the 300 and the 800, which had never been done in Illinois history. So I was like, you know, that's my goal. I think I can do it. And I felt like I had already proved to everyone I could. I've, I've won state in the 800 and I was second in the 300 hurdles. So that was my goal. And um, lo and behold, I got hurt again. So what happened this time is... I started to get shin pain and it, it felt like that same dull ache like my femur did. And at this point I, I stopped running and I, I told my coaches, told my mom, went to the doctor again and you know, they found out it was a stress fracture. So I had to end my senior season early. So didn't end up winning a outdoor state title. Um, but I think I did enough, just enough for schools to realize that I had potential to be a good collegiate athlete. Those shins have plagued you, haven't they? I saw a photo of you in college with your shins wrapped on the track. Yeah, that's actually a really funny story why it was uh -huh. wrapped. Well, um, I mean, I've, I struggle. I'm plagued by shin issues as well, so I, I feel your pain there. But but I saw that photo, and I was like, I, I know what she's doing there. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, going into my first year of college, I was coming off of um, rehabbing my shin stress fracture. 
And uh, they, they wanted me to run cross my first year in college. They didn't want me to redshirt, but you know, I was coming back from an injury. I hadn't built up the proper mileage and I started training again, but I started getting pain again in my shin. This time it was my other shin. And you know, the same process happened, uh, went to the team doctor, um, had another stress fracture. And at this point I'm like, geez, like three stress fractures in the span of what, like two years so far, like what is going on? But you know, the big 10 division one sports, it's just about, you know, hitting times and being fast and winning championships. So if I couldn't run, they found someone else who could run just as fast. Right. When you're, when you're running in the big 10, like you're just like, there's a lot of people that are good. So if I couldn't run, there's another girl on our team that could run a two Oh six in the 800 and we'd be okay. So I was uh red shirting my whole freshman year just because I, you know, I needed to take more time to, to get healthy basically. So I could have longevity in the sport. Um, I, I came back for outdoor still red shirted and um, I, I was definitely out of shape uh, just cause I had taken a lot, a lot of time off of running. But at this time I started cross training. Um, and for me, cross training was aqua jogging in the pool, um, biking. Um, I started rowing and I, I never told anyone I rode because I didn't think it was an acceptable form of cross training just because no one did it. There wasn't a teammate that was like, I'm going to go hit, hit the rower for an hour <laughs> instead of aqua jog. But, you know, I found it super interesting and, and I, I liked the motion. So I would cross train on the rower and, you know, I, I kept some fitness going into the spring of my freshman year, but I did not have any outstanding times. I didn't, I didn't get faster than my high school times that year. Going into the sophomore, going into my sophomore year of college is when it started to become more serious for me. Um, this the year was 2016, and the Olympic trials were happening in Eugene, Oregon, and my dad and I got tickets and to go watch. I, I didn't qualify or anything. Um, I did have some teammates that actually did qualify though, so that was pretty cool to see them out there. But my dad and I flew out to San Francisco. You know, got a whole tour of the the West Coast, and it was epic went to Eugene, Oregon, watched the trials. And at this point I started to realize that I thought I needed to change my body. So I was never a skinny runner ever. I, I always had a lot of muscle on me. Um, I just attest that to being an athlete, like an athlete growing up doing lots of different activities, but it was after looking at the, or watching the Olympic trials that I was like, you know what, maybe what I need to do to be fast and like win a big 10 title is, you know, I probably need to lose weight. So sophomore year going into my sophomore year cross country i decided to just not eat as much so what that meant for me is i would skip breakfast go on a run uh eat something very light for lunch go on another run and you know that weight came off fast so going into my sophomore year uh i was thin the probably the thinnest i'd ever been and but i was fast i i remember i was hitting tempos like 550 per mile for like five to four or five miles. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was mm -hmm. fit, very fit, but you know, there's a fine line when you're losing weight and you're trading hard that, you know, something's going to break down. Well, when I hear a woman with stress fracture history, and then I hear she's calorically depriving herself, I just think recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And I was so naive, so naive. And no one at this point was talking to me about making sure you're healthy. Mm -hmm. It was, I was always in an environment where you just needed to be faster and faster and anything that you could do to, you know, be number one basically is what you should do. And that's no shade to anybody that was in my program or that I worked with. It was just my own mindset. So I was thin 
um, but running very fast, very, very fast. Like I've, I'd never been this fast before ever. And I, I still had it, haven't, but I started the cross country season and I started getting pain in my foot. And I'm like, you know what? This is definitely a stress fracture. At this point, I know what they feel like. I've gotten three. I'm running a lot. I'm not in the back of my mind. I know why I'm getting, why I'm getting a stress fracture. I'm not providing my body with enough nutrients. Like obviously something's going to happen. But I was so naive and I wanted to run through it and be fast. And it just boiled down to I wanted, you know, to have recognition that I was I, I wanted to be one of the best runners in the Big Ten. And I was going to do anything I could to do that. But I got to the point where I was doing just too much. So I, I did end up having a stress fracture in my metatarsal. Um, I had to take a lot of time off. But during this time off, I started just extremely over exercising because I couldn't run. I, I felt like I needed to make up for it and not just like make up for it a little bit. Like I needed to double my training volume. So I would get up at like 5.30 a.m. on a normal day, go to the pool, swim for an hour, go to class, um, go do the strength training sessions if I could with the team, and then go back to the gym and do another hour or two hours of biking or ellipticaling. And this is, I did this for months until I, until my bone healed. So when I got to my outdoor season, I was still extremely calorically deprived, but I was still, you know, fast. And I was just so naive and not taking care of my body that I tried running again. And I finally got a full season, but was I fast? No, I never really got, the fastest I got in college was I ran a 131 in the 600, which that's, that's pretty speedy, yep. but mm. I know I could have done a lot more. I absolutely know it. Like I ran that my sophomore year, uh, or no freshman year. One of those early years, I ran a 131, and my coaches knew I had potential. And I think what it would, what it would have taken is just someone to kind of sit down with me and kind of describe what I'm doing to myself and why it's not going to work out in the long run. Because I'd never had anyone to be like, you know, you should probably eat more and not train as much. But you know, it was just a, a horrible cycle that kind of just happened, honestly, and through my whole entire college career until finally. Junior year, um, I was still doing the same thing. Uh, and I got, I think it was, ended up being my sixth stress fracture. My, my butt started hurting when we were doing 200 meter repeats. And I was like, man, like, okay, this probably is not a stress fracture because it feels like my butt hurts. But I would roll out my butt, you know, my thighs, quad, like, you know, my legs and nothing was getting better. I ended up seeing the doctor and I was like, you know, my, my butt hurts. Like when I sit down on a chair, like it, there's a lot of pain and I don't know why it hurts when I'm running. And my doctor's like, you know what? Well, you know, we'll get an MRI. It's probably fine. Cause we don't see a lot of sacral stress fractures. Those are, those are really rare. Um, usually people who get sacral stress fractures get them because they were in a, like a horrific accident. Like they were in a car crash or they fell from a building or something. Mm. So I got this MRI done and the results came back and I had a stress fracture. And my doctor at this point was like, you know what? If, if you want to like continue, if you want to live like a healthy lifestyle, an active lifestyle when you're older, that you probably should stop running now. And I did not know what that meant. And it took a lot for him to explain to me. I, I had this huge meeting with the doctor, my coaches, our athletic trainer, that they basically told me that I'm not allowed to run anymore. At least in the, in the Big Ten, I had to sign a medical hardship waiver, which basically means you can't compete anymore. Uh, at least in the NCAA and NCAA. So I had to sign this form. And basically after that meeting, they were like, all right, you're not on the team anymore. Good luck. That had to be catastrophic. 
Oh, it was horrible. And at this point it's in like my an college athletic career, intervention. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the exact day because I got a text from my coach that night and she's like, Hey, like when, when you go to your um, doctor appointment in the morning, I'm going to be there. And so is um, our athletic trainer. And I was like, okay, like that's really odd because when we go see the doctor, it's you and the doctor. <laughs> like mm-hmm. They're not going to bring your coach in there and talk about your issues. It's that's, that's up to you to disclose with the, mm-hmm. the, the coach. Like, so I, I just knew something was up. So I, I went to that appointment and my coach was there. Um, a trainer was there and my doctor and they basically were explaining, my doctor was explaining to me how I shouldn't be running anymore. And because I'm getting these injuries and they don't know why, which in the back of my head, I knew why, but no one really knew. How, how much weight did you lose? So you know? I, yeah, I, I'm very, I'm tall. I'm, I'm 5'10". And by the time I was, when I was really fit, but thin, I was 133 pounds. And you know, a lot of runners are a lot thinner than that at that height. But for my body type and the amount of muscle I care nor- carry normally, I was extremely low body fat percentage. Mm. And that's another thing is that they tested us regularly was our body fat. And that's very, I don't know, not very good, in my opinion, to be testing pe- people who are athletes who are already very self-conscious about how much they weigh and mm-hmm. what they look like at that level. Like we, we got tested every like three or four months. So I got to a point where they did not measure my body fat anymore. Like usually you get a readout that says like, oh, you're 9% body fat, 11% um, on a DEXA scan. I think we did DEXA scans. So they were very thorough tests. They put a lot of emphasis on making sure you were fit. And um, there was a point where my body fat wasn't like red anymore. So I was very, I wasn't skinny, but I was very, very lean, Mm -hmm. very lean. So like 133 pounds. So now I'm like 150. 50 ish to put that into perspective okay yeah so i was very thin at this point this is a theme in high level running right now that's endemic in our country you have a lot of people finally coming forward it kind of sprung from the me too movement but a Mm -hmm. lot of female athletes came out and started talking about the toxic weight environment of big programs where Mm -hmm. team weigh-ins or team body fat readings yeah team announcements talking about, oh, I think we need five or six pounds and need to come off or or the opposite of the team culture runs wild and the coach has no hand in it and just lets it run its course because they know if they get two or three fit skinny girls out of it, it's worth yeah. the five or 10 that fall by the wayside. And it's mm-hmm. it's a problem. And we talked yeah. about on the last podcast, lighter is always faster, but there's a point where your fastest weight is not your sustainable weight. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I was down to 139. We just talked about this on the last one. I'm two inches taller than you. And I was four pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. That was my fastest weight, but I was so injured and tired and sick. Mm-hmm. And we, like you said, you went to the trials and you saw the examples of when it does work Yeah. out of the thousands of girls who starved themselves and put in big mileage. You saw 12 of them on the track that it yep. worked maybe, but we don't know their story and what happened after the race or before. But because we don't know that, we just see, well, that's the pinnacle. And now we need to force our body into that mold. And that is, it's just a really dangerous, uh, just environment and and status quo that we have in endurance running. Yep, exactly. And just like you described it, it definitely is an endemic. Because there's a lot of people on my team that were doing something similar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was the one that was getting injured all the time. Right. So we, you know, we all ate together. We had the varsity room, all the athletes ate together. So I saw what these... My teammates were eating on a daily basis. They were eating as little as I was or, you know, I just happened to be the one that was getting all these stress fractures. 
And what that meant for me is was I was not allowed to run anymore, at least in the NCAA. And so after that junior year, I signed that form. And what did I do? I did nothing. I mean, for eight months, seven or eight months, I didn't do anything. I had been an athlete my whole, whole entire life. Did you continue to receive school funding? Yes. So, so that was the thing that was hundred percent a blessing is they did not take away my scholarship. Um, so I was very fortunate. I was still able to attend the university and I got my education and, you know, it was a blessing and a curse looking back on it at in the time I was extremely lost. Like I, like I didn't know who I was because I had identified myself as an athlete for 20 plus years at that point. That's what people <laughs> knew me as like when they like, if people saw my name in the paper, they knew that I was the runner. Like, oh, oh, you're the runner, the girl that, you know, wins state um, and is fast. But now I didn't have that title anymore. And it took me a lot of just introspection to be like, I'm more than than that, than that word, than, you know, I'm more than that. And I took, it took me a lot, a lot of time. It still is, it still haunts me. Like when I talk about it and think about it, because it was a very, very bad time in my life. But so after, after I signed that form, I took about seven months and I did not know what I, I had no vision. I had no goals anymore. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life in regards to school. This was a very like odd time for me. And I tried to seek help in a way, but I didn't know where to go because I didn't have my teammates anymore. Um, I mean, I, w- I was still friends with them, but they, they were doing their own thing and they were, they were busy running and working out mm-hmm. and all the things. So I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. Um, and when you're an athlete, you know that you're, you're friends with athletes basically like i didn't try and make friends with people in my classes i didn't care i like i have my teammates i have my athletic friends like i don't want to talk to these narps i don't know if you guys call them narps like non-athletic regular people never heard that term actually <laughs> uh, maybe that's an Illinois thing actually but yeah we called people who didn't do sports narps and, and we didn't talk to the narps like we talked to the athletes so it was weird for me to kind of like be out of that social circle after i signed that form because i i really got thrown out of the team like not actually but I wasn't invited to things anymore and that wasn't like on purpose but like I I wasn't providing for the team like I wasn't running I wasn't scoring at meets they didn't bring me to big tens I've been on that side I was uh once injured in college and once transitioning from baseball back to running so I was in between Uh sports and you are like a leper as soon as you're not able to compete there is uh it's like people are afraid to be near you they don't want to yeah. catch what you have. And that's not what they're saying. And it may not even yeah. be what they're thinking or feeling, but you are marked as different and you're not part of the core contingent anymore. You're not invited to mm-hmm. the same places. You're not, you're just not part, you're not part of the group anymore. And you are definitely an other. And that is, yeah. so, it just contributes to the, all right, I need to go overboard to get back because I am not a person of value. I'm not even a full person in their eyes unless I'm contributing on the playing field. It's so yeah. true, man. My, my senior year when I had gotten sick and had to stop college athletics, um, probably the lowest point in my life, especially my athletic career, you feel completely shunned. And mm-hmm. you got to think when you show up day one as a freshman in college, you have a instant social circle of 30 plus people. You have 30 great friends and you have, and everything is built for years and years around that. And then suddenly that's taken away. Can you, no matter if it was an athletic social circle or another social circle, like you had to start back from ground zero, didn't you? 
Oh, absolutely. And, That's and a tough also, time. And even like the house, we live together. So now you yeah. can't take part in the dinner yeah. conversation. You turn into the person that's in your room because you know mm-hmm. that you that you're not totally welcome in the conversations. Mm-hmm. And then they go from food mm-hmm. right out to what they do, and you're just there. And all you can yes. do is think and overthink. And it's really, really difficult. Think of how crazy that is. That your worth as a person is tied to your most recent running performance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And they they never extrins, extrinsically extrinsically come on words they never extrinsically excluded me no. from yeah. things but I I felt like I should not go out of my way to try and include myself into things anymore because I'm not on the team I'm not running and mm-hmm. even though I so I had access to everything the athletes still had access to even though I wasn't because I was keeping my scholarship basically yeah. I, I could still go do stuff so. What that meant is I could still go eat at the athletic dining hall, but I avoided it like the plague. I did not want to go in there anymore because I felt awkward. Like I, if I did, I took food to go. I didn't want to sit with my teammates because to me, they were like ex teammates and it's not that they ever did anything wrong. And they really did not. They were trying to be very supportive, Mm -hmm. but like, I did not felt like, I did not feel like I belonged anymore. Like after I signed that form, I was like, all right, I got to figure out what my next thing to do is. The, this, this is a bad correlation to make because it is not the same. So anyone who hears Mm -hmm. this, do not take offense. This is not the same, but the only other place I have seen this play out the same way at the same level, but totally different importance is in the military. When I've known people who have been injured or had eye issues pop up or something medically go on where they can no longer serve in the same capacity they had, they are now other on the base where Mm -hmm. they know they're not going out in the field and everyone else knows they're not going out in the field. And because of that, they are other and everyone is nice to them. But the way you'd be nice to like a puppy dog, you know, like you're cute, but you got to stay outside. And, and it's the only other place I've seen it. So I'm not saying being an injured athlete is like being an injured soldier, but it's the only other place I've seen where there's such a fraternity of physicality involved that when you no longer can bring the physicality to it, you're just not, you're instantly different. Mm-hmm. And I even had the opportunity to help coach the team. So my coach asked me like, hey, hey, you can still show up to practices and help help me record times and, you know, organize things basically. And I, I took her up on that offer for a bit and I, I came to practice still. And it was still when this whole thing was fresh in my mind. And I don't think it had all settled in that I'm just no longer going to yeah. be an athlete anymore. And I went to a few practices and I... Most of the time after I, I went home and I cried because I'm like, this is not too painful, mm-hmm. too painful. I, I would go to the track and I, I would be clicking the stopwatch for, you know, repeats for my teammates. And I'm like, oh, I could run that. Or I, I, I used to run that and it brought back memories that I knew I, I'm never going to make again because I'm yeah. not allowed. I can't. It's like so, trying emotionally. It's the same thing as trying to hang out in the same group of friends with your ex and their new partner. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's painful to watch everything that you used to do with them. Now they're doing without you. Absolutely. And I, at this point, I, I, I just cut ties mm-hmm. and I didn't do it in a, a malicious way, but I, it wasn't going to work out with me anymore. So I ended up just not, not coaching, um, not coming. I, I talk with my teammates and they're good friends and I was still living with them. So it was hard to kind of get out of that, uh, you know, team atmosphere. Cause I was literally living with them, but 
I, I kind of cut that portion out of my life a bit. And, and I thought I was going to have to stop running forever just because I thought I was going to bring back memories of like not being good enough, getting hurt all the time. And I still had to figure out why I was getting injured. So at this point, I kind of realized that I needed to gain weight. Um, and I knew I had a bad relationship with food. And that was a very, you know, I, I knew it. Um, because when I started to make new friends outside of the team, they would ask me to go out to get food with them and go get drinks. And I had a hard time saying yes, because of my bad relationship with food. So I wasn't making friends. And it was at this point, I I knew I needed to make a change. So I started taking care of myself a little bit better. I started seeing a new a dietitian and getting my health back in order because I realized if I wanted to be an athlete again and run again sometime in the distant future, I was going to have to, you know, get healthy. So yeah, food problems yeah. are insidious. They do not Horrible. just affect you at the plate at the dinner table. They affect every interaction you have throughout a day. Mm-hmm. In our society, we are really, really, our social interactions happen around food more often than not food or drinks. And, and that is so people with food issues. And there's so many more out there than people realize are constantly mm-hmm. on a heightened sense of alert or misery. Yeah, o- always. And I was so sick of it. Like there was a point in time where I'm like, I'm just so sick of saying no and not having a social circle because I don't want to go and get food. So I realized I needed help. And that was the first time in my years of existence that I searched out someone to help me get through something. So, cause before it was kind of handed to me, like mm-hmm. when I was an athlete, they were like, all right, you're going to go see the sports psychologist and just, you know, have a chat just because, you know, everyone saw the sports psychologist as a new athlete. And I just did it cause I had to. And this is the first time I, I took my life into my own hands and I was like, I'm going to go get help. So I got help mm-hmm. and I got better. Not definitely not right away. It's a very long process, especially for anyone struggling with an eating disorder. It takes a lot, a lot of time. And I was never diagnosed with anything, but I had a very, very bad relationship with food. So after I got dismissed from the team, I started just getting myself healthy and I did not do any structured workouts for about seven months. I, I wanted to make sure that my sacrum was healed and I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get any, any other bony issues. Cause you know, they suck. Like you guys have been through lots of injuries and you understand mm-hmm. that being out for extended periods of time really messes with your mojo. And, and I kind of needed to realize who I was Cause I didn't know who I was after I stopped running. I was like, like, what is my purpose? I started getting all these, like, you know, fi- all philosophical on myself. Like if I can't be an athlete, what am I going to be? There's a book sitting on the desk at the, at, at my gym right now, something about like injuries as a blessing or something. And mm-hmm. it's a really, gosh, like if there's a time that I've actually rediscovered how to live life and be multi-minded is through injury. It's sometimes, you know, if you only have one lane to stay in, you stay in that lane, but you don't realize that there's like a lot more to life than just oh, yeah. it's like a bigger picture blessing, I bet you is, is Absolutely. where you're going with this because I've experienced it before. Now it's like, yeah, got an injury. That's all right. I got 10 other things that excite me and that I identify with now versus yeah. just the one. Yeah, right. And it, t- it took that period of time after I had gotten my last injury that I realized that, wow, like I'm more to... I'm more than an athlete. I can do other things. I have lots of interests because when I was an athlete, I just worked out basically. And when, when people say, Hey, what do you do for fun? Oh, well, I run. Um, and that's it. I, I run. Mm-hmm. So I finally kind of understood there's other things I like. And when I started to get that itch to come back to compete, I made sure I was hundred percent healthy. Um, my weight was nor- normal. Like I was at a healthy weight and I was eating properly. And it wasn't until then that I decided that I 
could start working out again. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole again. So what, what I decided to do is I, I tell myself I did not want to run anymore. I was like, I need to find a sport that I, you know, can try that's not running. Cause it just brought back bad memories of like being excluded and getting cut out of team. So what did I do? I tried CrossFit. And the reason why I did CrossFit is because I followed some CrossFit games athletes on Instagram. And I was like, you know, they look really cool. Like they're doing these awesome, like gymnastics stuff and they can lift a lot of weight. And what, one of my favorite things about being a sprinter was I loved the weight room because I loved like moving weight and being stronger than a lot of people. I, f- I found when I was younger, when I was in high school and even in early college, when I went to the weight room, um, I was generally one of the strong, one of the stronger people in there. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll try CrossFit. Like it's not really running. It's still some sort of fitness activity and I'm starting to get back into shape and I think it'll be good. So signed up for this foundations class, which basically they kind of teach you the basics and it was way below. They basically were teaching you how to do a sit up, like how to do a front squat. Like what is a front squat? What's a deadlift? But I I knew what this stuff was. It, It was a matter of like, show me the meat and potatoes. Like I want to get back into competing. And once I started going to these CrossFit classes, I realized that I really missed competing. And I didn't realize that I missed it that much until I started to get the taste of being good at something again. So um, I started doing CrossFit for like a whole summer, like probably three full months. I didn't run so, uh, yeah, so I started doing like CrossFit classes and like there I was getting coached by like the, the local CrossFit gym owner. And at this point I was still in Champaign. I was still getting my degree. Um, but I, I started missing like the competition part. Like right now I was just working out. Like I wasn't training. I, I, I was just exercising. Like there was no plan. I would just go to class and they would be like, all right, we're going to do this AMRAP. And then we're going to try and lift really heavy for a, like, we're going to try and one rep max our front squat today. And it was fun and I liked it, but there was no structure. One thing about CrossFit that's good, I think, is they, they do a really good job of creating like a like a family. Did you feel like yes. you finally were like brought in yes. and you weren't uh, you weren't the gargoyle under the bridge anymore? A hundred percent. Yeah. I started I can to see feel, the appeal there. Yeah, I started to feel like part of a team again. And that was something that yeah. I missed for like eight months that I, I didn't have a team anymore. I didn't have like people to, you know, be there for me and cheer me on. And yeah. it was awesome. So I think that's what kind of like that kind of like sparked me to want to get back into competing also is because I wanted people to um, cheer for me while I was working, like competing basically. Like I, I wanted that camaraderie of competition. And that's something that I started to miss as I started getting a little bit better at CrossFit. And I, I never did any CrossFit competitions, but I got, I got pretty strong. Like, cause I wasn't running. I was just lifting and I liked it. But once we started doing this, there was a particular wad a workout of the day at the gym that included running and it was a one mile run rope climbs and back squats, I think. And, um, three rounds of that. And I ran the one mile run and I was like, Oh, like I can still run. Like <laughs> I'm not that bad. My bones don't hurt. Like I feel healthy. So I finished that workout and I just remember being like, man, I think I miss running. And that was the first time I, I really missed it. And I'll, in a while, probably since I got medically dismissed, because every time I thought about it after that, I thought negatively just because it brought me injuries and mm-hmm. breakups need time to heal from breakups need time to breakups heal. need time. Time heals everything. Yeah. And I was healing basically at this point. And after that workout, I was like, you know what? I miss running. Like I'm going to start running again. I'm going to go nice and slow. I'm going to 
make myself some sort of progression. I'm not going to do workouts, but I'm just going to start running again. So at this point I was doing CrossFit and then I was incorporating running and it was great. Like I, I thought I had a good plan for myself and I was starting to feel healthy and, and, um, in some sort of social group now with the gym and I was reconnecting relationships with my teammates. Um, so I was in a good spot after a while, after doing, you know, just exercising, I missed like competing. Like I'm like, what am I doing this for? Like, of course I'm staying healthy and it's nice to just exercise and feel good and not put pressure on yourself to perform. But I missed that. I I missed the, the, the stress kind like that, you know, a little bit of extra stress when you're getting ready for a competition and, what, what happened is I was uh, scrolling through my Instagram one day and I saw an ad uh, for Spartan Race. And I, I had heard of a Spartan Race before, but I never, ever looked into it just because I had been running my whole, or like I was in the NCAA. You can't, you can't really do anything else. So I, uh, I clicked on it and they had a local race, Chicago. Uh, I think it was the... Um, they had a sp- stadium race. This was like, I think 2018. It was a Toyota Park one. I don't know if you were there, Bracken. Yeah. Yeah, I did that one. Yeah. So I, I was like, okay, you know, that's kind of cool. I signed up for it, but I did not know what to expect at all. I didn't train. I didn't train for it. I just went to it and I signed up in the elite wave, um, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Absolutely no idea. I didn't know there was going to be a spear throw. I didn't know like what, like I did not research this when I'm telling you I signed up just to do it because I thought it'd be fun. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. So I I got to this race and I, I, um, I'm in the profession or the elite wave and we're we're starting the race and I'm like, okay, like why are people, they're running so like they're running slow. (laughs) I didn't know what was ahead basically. So I was running up and down stairs and I could muscle my way through all these obstacles and I did fine. The spear throw I failed, of course, but after I finished that race, I realized like, I think this is something that is actually what I've been looking for, like forever. Like it kind of encapsulates my interest in fitness, like just all around fitness, but also running. And so for, it was from that point on that I realized like, I think this is something I want to start to take seriously and I want to start training for. So it took that one race for me to be like, okay, I, I want to start being serious about this sport, basically. How'd you do in that first race? I think I got 10th. Okay. And, yeah. and it was it a fitness thing or was it a, a newness of the sport thing? Um, so I had, so I didn't know at the time, but I had mono when I ran it. So it was a it was a I'm sick thing and I don't know what I'm doing thing. Okay, at least it wasn't a broken bone. Not broken bone, not broken bone. So what that did for me though, is it kind of catapulted my next months and into my training. And I started to kind of like, like kind of program for myself in a way that would set me up for success if I wanted to continue doing this sport. So I took the winter and spring, cause this was my only race I did. Like I, I tried that race and the season was over. It was like October, November or something. And um, I set the winter and spring started training. Um, I started training a lot, but in a very healthy way because I had learned my lesson when I was in college that I can't overdo it. If, if I start training a lot, I got to make sure I eat enough. And I learned a lot, a lot of lessons. Um, thankfully at a, at a young age, fairly young age, um, that kind of helped me kept catapult me into the world of obstacle course racing. So I started the, just last summer, a year ago, um, with this, I was 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I just graduated college. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to take this gap year. So I, I took a gap year. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. But I was like, you know, I'm going to take this gap year. I'm going to travel and do these cool races and stuff and see see what I can do, see how much money I can make. I was very, very, I was naive. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make a bunch of money because I, I feel like I can be so good because I'm a fast runner. And yeah, so I was very bright eyed, bushy tailed. I graduated college. I flew down to Austin, Texas, and I ran a Spartan race down there. It was a now, super... to interrupt. Yeah. At Austin, when you got there, how many months had you been running for? Oh, wow. Um, I want to say consistently six or seven okay six or seven continuously like no hiccups or anything but at this point i wasn't i was still very new to the process of rebuilding a, a structured schedule I, how I many days per week were you running four four ish four to five but i, I started to supplement um a lot of cross training because that's something i did when i was injured is i, I cross trained all the time so I, I was still running maybe four-ish days, but I would get on the elliptical. I would get on the rower. I, like I said before, like I really liked rowing and CrossFit helped, you know, increase that interest a little bit more. So I would run maybe four days a week, but I was doing a lot of other activity and I was still doing CrossFit at this time. I was lifting heavy. I like lifting a lot. So like I, I try to still incorporate that as much as possible at this point. Um, so I started the race at Austin um, and it was a super and I got second and I was like, oh, this is like legit. Like I got second place in this elite wave. This is like my second race ever. My first one I actually took seriously and I knew what to expect. Like it felt so cool. I'm like, I, I need to continue doing this. Like I can see myself like actually getting pretty good at it and like finding some success. So I looked at like the Spartan schedule and I was like, what are other races I can go to that are close enough where I don't have to spend a lot of money to get to? Because the, the Texas one was expensive. Like it's a lot of money to go and fly and spend days in a hotel. And you, of course mm -hmm. you want to do all the touristy things too when you're there. Like I've never been to Austin. And you're only making 200 bucks. You're making 200 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> making. Make, exactly. Because yeah. you spend it. And it was basically that Austin trip was like my graduation gift. So it was literally two days after I graduated, I flew down there. So quick turnaround. But I was just so like anxious, like excited to finally like get back into something that like I graduated. Oh, I also started a job. Like, so when I, when I graduated college, I had to ask off for like my first week of my job. I, I had to ask if I could start the week after because I was going <laughs> to a race and it was hard to explain because I was new to the sport still that I'm, you know, I'm competing and doing these like obstacle course races, but my employer was super chill with it. Um, so after that Austin race, it really like catapulted me into the sport of OCR um, I, I got that taste of success early. I got that second place and I was like, all right, like I want to keep doing this. Like, this is, this is fun. This is up my alley. This is like my niche that I've been looking for my whole entire life that I didn't know existed. And I'm lucky enough that I found it pretty young. Like I was 22 and I started doing it. Um, but that summer was very, very enlightening for me. And I, I did a lot of local races, the, uh, Chicago sprint, I want to say Indiana, sprint the minnesota one kirk we were on the podium together at yeah minnesota. i remember that we won uh the minnesota sprint one and i was like this is just so unreal that like you're getting recognized for running a rate running a race that's like you, you run through mud and do obstacles and stuff and you're getting paid for that and it was just such a surreal summer for me that i'm like i think i found something that i i 
found success in. And, and was, I wanted was to- Minnesota, Was Minnesota your first like mountain course? Yeah. Cause I, it's a short course, but that thing is steeply and aggressive and catches people off guard. So mm-hmm. you did well there for your first, your first one. So steep. So uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I, I hadn't really done any like hill training either. So I was, I was nervous, but I did a lot better than I thought. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually really nervous coming down the hills too. I thought I was going to fall, face plant, roll, just make like an embarrassment out of myself. That course is as steep as any mountain race you'll ever run and the grass they usually keep along. So it, it yes. it's not known as a mountain, but it's a mini version of the nastiest mountain you could race. It runs mm-hmm. technical and aggressive. So I, that's it. I was wondering if that was your first one because then that's even more exceptional how well you had done on that terrain. Running downhill on a thirty to forty percent grade is not is not easy. That was crazy hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was nervous, and I at this point I was I was still new to the sport, but I, I realized the obstacles weren't too bad for me. But it was just more so like cleaning up my spear throw. So at this point, I started to get to the nitty gritty details of like, okay, how can I how can I do better at the spear throw? Um, I had my parents buy a bunch of hay bales, and my dad built a spear out of like a a wooden, uh, broom. Um, so it became like a family affair. Like my dad was helping me out. We were traveling together and I was like, you know, this is like, this is what I've been looking to do forever. And I finally found it just by happenstance, just literally scrolling through social media one day. Um, and this all wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten hurt in the first time I gotten medically dismissed. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, Kirk, before that, you know, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise and things do happen for a reason. And I, I found something that I am ultimately interested in. And um, I think OCR led me into finding High Rocks, which was also through social media and by word of mouth. And that's something that I find myself very much so gravitating towards just because it's, it's, it's more of a hybrid of CrossFit and running than OCR is more running, but being proprioceptive and having good body awareness. So people, people who, um, are livers of life often live blessings in disguise, you know, like if it wasn't OCR, it probably would have been something else for you. Just listening to your upbringing, like, like you, you would have, if it wasn't OCR, you scrolled across the next thing, maybe it would be something else. I feel like, uh, I don't know. You weren't just going to go settle into the night and be a student and then work a nine to five. Like that is not, I think preparedness met opportunity there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Like, um, yeah, uh, for, for a while when I, when I finished running, I, I didn't think I would ever find anything again that excited me as much as, you know, winning a, winning a cross country race or winning a track race and breaking a record and like having a record, like that's very enthralling. And like, it brought me so much excitement and I, w- I was just going to not, I was never going to settle, but in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what, maybe that was just a period of time that just happened and it'll be something I look, look back on and I'm glad that I went through it. But this is like kind of like a rebirth of my athletic career and I'm definitely not taking it for granted. Like uh, I realize that things can change in an instant, but I'm very excited for the next, you know, decade plus because mm-hmm. I am still young. I'm only t- 23 that I, I know I have a lot of room to grow, a lot of room to get stronger, to get faster, to get even better at running. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few years. Yeah. It, I feel like this now brings us full circle on what we talked about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We took a look at your athletic and physical attributes as a person, as an athlete, why we're so bullish on your future. 
because you take this very athletic upbringing, which is a necessity for doing well at off-road racing and obstacle racing in general. And then you add very, very high level foot speed, 11, 9, 100 meter dash, all the way up through uh, 211, 800 in high school and mm-hmm. being a sub 18 minute 5k runner. Mm-hmm. You add that to college strength of tempoing at 550 pace for five miles in a workout. And then you you take the, the in terms of the mileage on you, you took time off and then you spend time under tension in CrossFit, mm-hmm. which hopefully helped your bone density. It definitely helped your mental state. You addressed your nutritional issues. You've got the killer mindset that pushed you over the edge that gave you um, an unhealthy relationship with with eating. You were willing to make yourself uncomfortable to lose weight. You're willing to overwork yourself into stress fractures. Now you balance it with health. So you've got the physical tools, the mindset that has now been tamed towards a positive drive, and you had early success in OCR. Realistically, you came into the sport and did well. A lot of the top women come in and a lot of the top guys who are strong runners and they struggle for a bit. And you did pretty well early on and you hadn't had uninterrupted training and you hadn't had a high level of volume yet. Mm-hmm. So all of these things kind of come together and tell us that you are not anywhere near your peak in the sport right now. And you take a look at Lindsay or Nicole or VJ or any of the, the, the people that came up over the last few years, you had to give them a three-year run to get to where they're at. So we're starting year two. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting looking forward. It was part of why I was so excited when you reached out about working together. Because after talking to you at at Chicago, I, I, got, I got to learn some of your background a little bit. And I realized, oh, man, this girl's a stud. And she's new and fresh. And she has nowhere to go but up. And that's really exciting to watch someone's trajectory and just realize, all right, they are now at the mercy of how much can they train and how healthy can they stay. And it seems mm-hmm. like you've got a good handle on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said before, I'm glad that I kind of learned these, learned some lessons er, early on. Like when I was 20 years old, I, I realized I needed to like take my nutrition a little more seriously and get myself healthy. And some people aren't lucky enough to have gone, or I I don't know if if lucky is the word, but have gone through issues that, you know, Mm -hmm. put them in a vulnerable state and they can learn from it and grow and then make themselves into a healthy person. So yeah, I mean, everything so far in my athletic life has been a blessing in disguise. Um, Like we were talking, I I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about the butterfly effect, which basically is like one small decision you make can change the entire course of your life. And, and I feel like the smallest thing where like me not going back to my high school career, me, me staying with soccer and not even trying track could have led me in a completely different direction than me being like, you know what, I'll, I'll quit all these sports just to go run one time, see, see how I like it. Mm-hmm. And that one time turned into me, you know, running a lot and winning state and going to Illinois. And it's just so cool how, yeah, you know, it all ends up getting you to some location in your life and you learn a lot of lessons on the way. You meet a lot of cool people. I've met so many cool people in OCR. I met some amazing friends. One of my best friends I met, Callie Schweikart, through OCR. So yeah, it's been awesome. Like I've replaced my, my team, well, haven't replaced, but you know, after, after I got kicked out of the team, uh, just from being injured, I found my other group of people that are just as invested and intrigued at improving their fitness and, you know, being all around studs and athletes. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the future and I'm really living in the moment right now too. Bracken, uh, Bracken likes to say, you know, pay now or pay later. And I'll tell you what, I would much, much, much rather learn my lessons at 20 to 23 mm -hmm. than relearn them again. Like I kind of am going through right now in my mid thirties. Like I would say lucky may be the right term to use. It's, it didn't feel like it in the moment, mm -hmm. but I am telling you like having perspective that you have now and you have a long time to do some damage in this sport. I would have liked to have learned those lessons at 20 to 23. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. In hindsight. That's yeah. what I've been thinking, Kirk, for the last 30 minutes listening mm -hmm. to your talk. I got injured for the first time, truly injured at 30. Now at 33, I am for the first time in a place where I feel like I can mentally, in a healthy way, approach moving forward and doing things correctly. You got done with that process at 23. Maybe not done. I don't know if we're ever truly, you don't beat it. You just live with it and you get better at living with it. But you are 10 years ahead of it. Now, moving forward, whatever comes up, you already have a game plan and you already have the mental callus built up to how to deal with it. And that's like, like Kirk said, and he says it a lot, you can be really lucky for having gone through things if you come out the other side. And you came out the other side at 23. Yeah. Yeah, going off of what you just said, I the best way I like to describe it for people who are like, how like how do you get through an injury? Like how do you how do you put your head down and grind through hours of cross training? Um, the the best answer I have for myself and for other people is that personally, I've just become so mentally calloused to it because I'm so used to it after years of literally swimming or biking or rowing that it's, it's okay. Like for me to like hop on a bike, I know I'm still increasing my fitness. If I do certain things and I work out at a certain intensity and for other people who are new, like new to getting injured, we'll say mm -hmm. it, it's hard. It's hard for them at first, but mm -hmm. once you kind of, you know, have been through that path multiple times, your, your mind just becomes callous. And that's the thing when you, when you start to have small things that, that pop up now, um, I've been talking with Bracken a little bit lately that like I'm having some like small health issues come up, like, you know, just like electrolyte imbalances and iron level things happen where you can't really train well, that it's not the end of the world. Like pr prior to me ever being injured or ever having health issues that not being able to train for like weeks would have been the end of the world. But me going through things like be having a sacral stress fracture and not running for eight months my mind has been so calloused and getting used to, you know, the small bumps and bruises that are inevitable when you're an athlete. And it shows through. When I first got the text from you, like, hey, I'm going to have to go in and get blood work. That's usually accompanied by more texts from athletes. Like I am, what do I even do here? What do you recommend? How do I? And then you get the result and you realize things are low and I have to start this up and I'm going to have to back off for a while. Like I'm preparing myself to like, support you and and here's what our protocol is going to have to be and your you had positive tones to your text yeah it was like okay yeah i've got this now and i'm just going to move ahead with this that that that's my reality in this moment that's fine let's just we're going to do this and be fine whereas other people have gone through that have this uncertainty and and really anxiety about it i didn't sense any of that with you yeah well the first time you go through anything that's a setback it seems like a mountain right and then the second and third time and fourth time, it seems like an anthill. 
And that perspective is just like so valuable. I, I, I don't hope everybody gets injured and has huge setbacks, of course. I hope you're the one freak of nature who can train for 40 years and never deal with it. But I hope most of you out there actually get through a learning process like that because it's going to be a lot more meaning to what you do moving forward and a lot more cerebralness, I feel like. Yeah, and, and another thing going off of that it, is I feel like I've become more positive when things are not going my way is because I have lived through periods of time where when, when I do get injured and I get depressed and just angry that nothing good comes from that. Like I am just like, there's no need. Like I have been through periods of time when I get injured that I sulk. And, and when I sulk, there's a lot of, your injury is not getting better if you are in a bad mood. Like if, if you're, so what I noticed one of my first times I was injured and I, I couldn't train fully, I started neglecting lots of other things in my life, school, social interactions, my parents, my mom even told me that I was a very angry person when I was 16, when I, when I had my first injury, because, you know, when one thing went wrong, it seemed like everything was going wrong, but that's not the case at all. It was just my attitude towards everything that was negative. So when I'm starting to go through these things, like small things that aren't too big of a deal that I know can be controlled, like, you know, vitamin mineral deficiencies or fatigue that no need to sulk or get upset because your attitude can change it can drastically change your day, your week, your month, your year. And that's so powerful. Well, I, can we just interject real quick? Cause we've already breached two hours here. I just oh, want to, yeah. I think the last thing that people want to know and, and we want to know is what's uh, what is your plans for when racing resumes? Oh, that's a, that is a good question. Um, so I'll, with my plan, I'm going to say my goal and I don't care if people know what my goal is because I, 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 I don't care. I, I like that. I like it. Oh, so my, my goal, like my overarching goal for the next like few seasons is to make the podium at the high rocks world championships. Um, and I have some like sub goals to that, but that's what I'm gearing myself towards. So what that means for training is high rock specific work um, staying on top of my aerobic development. Um, anything that will get me to where I want to be in regards to that goal is where I see myself in regards to training or the future. Um, I want to stay in the Spartan realm also, and I want to continue doing um, stadium races because I think those fit my strengths and that's what I'm interested in most. But that doesn't mean I'm going to not dabble in every event I can. Um, I, I still like the longer stuff too. I, I ran the North American Championships and I was seventh there. And that, that was a beast. That's way out of my element, but I, I like to put myself in any position I can to compete just because I like it. So, I mean, I, I, I enjoy the, the shorter intense stuff, but I like also every, everything. So, and also I don't really care how long it takes for me to get to these goals because I know I, I do have a lot of time. So that, that's a blessing of being young and new to the sport. I got to say also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's important to remember that your speed overshadows your endurance. Like usually people are born with one or the other, but you're the rare person who can flat out fly on the sprint, but you have the cross country pedigree to back it up. You know, mm -hmm. seventh at a 13 mile off-road trail race at the North American Championships and even at, at uh, High Rock, Chicago, you had one of the top run splits for the day, which is a total of, um, what was it um, 10K of running? Yeah. 8K? 8K? Or, oh yeah, 8K. 8K, 8 station, 8,000 meter runs. Um, I believe that your run split was a minute faster than Alyssa Hawley's and a couple minutes faster than Rebecca Hammonds. 
Now, Rebecca had a, an issue after one of the sleds. She yeah. had like a, a time where she wasn't moving. But even if you remove that out, you had a faster run split than her. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously a runner yeah. who's like has advanced endurance pedigree. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that you like the short stuff but can still do the long stuff, it's again, it's exciting for what comes next. I think you should quit it all and focus on the beer mile, Morgan. The beer <laughs> I think your real, real potential to make some money and make your stamp in this world is in the beer mile. You know, I wish I would have known what the, like, I did not know. I did not have any expectations going into that thing. I was like, this will be so fun. Like, I know I can chug pretty well, but I didn't know, like, I thought that was pretty decent. Like, I should actually train for it one of these days and see how fast I can get. And you were, what, 16 seconds off? Uh, Finishing, not the world record, but finishing top whatever at the beer mile world championship. Oh, I don't know. I don't and know. I think 30 it. seconds off the beer mile world record. 30 seconds off the world record. Yeah. I had no idea. Absolutely none going into it. <laughs> Was that your first beer mile? First one. Yeah. You figure 15 seconds of getting better at the compromised beer running and 15 seconds of transitions and you're knocking on the door of the beer mile world record. That You know what? Maybe I should add that to my, uh, my goals for uh, 2021. I think so. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, anything else you want to add, Morgan? Anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to mention or get to? Uh, let's see. Uh, if you you guys want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Morgan um, I haven't been active there lately because of school. Um, that's kind of kicking my butt, but uh, yeah, I think that just sums up uh, basically everything. Uh, shout out to you know everyone who's been in my corner these past few months because I've been. Uh, stressed with a lot of different things going on and with school, work, everything. But, you know, I, I'm looking forward to when the world gets a little bit back to normal and we can start seeing each other in person again and start start to race. That's right. We're about an, I don't know, hour, hour and a half apart. Yeah. We're going to have some training weekends coming up. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Morgan. Thanks for sharing with the rest of the endurance world what's coming down the pipe at them. And we can't wait to watch your career as it launches forward. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks, Morgan. All right. See ya.